Welcome back to Russell Street Replay, a podcast that recaps every Baltimore Ravens game by handing out awards and superlatives to various players and plays from each week. I'm your host, Nick Hilmeta. So this week we are going to be breaking down the Ravens, another heartbreaking loss, this, this time to the Los Angeles Rams in week 17, a loss that all but ends the Ravens playoff hopes. Uh, first, I want to shout out my sister who got me this lovely new audio setup for Christmas. So hopefully you can hear me nice and clear. And I'm joined today by Taylor Lyons, who's joined us on a, a previous episode of the pod. Taylor, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. So, uh, you know, that was another one point loss. We, I know we were talking about it just before I started recording. You know, you you look at all of the close losses to, to, to end this season and you think about how that factors into next season. What does losing all these close games tell you about this team heading into the 2022 season? I mean, I think like we were talking about before you started recording, it's like they're just finding new ways, new ways to lose. I kind of compared it to watching the Orioles, how they just find new ways to lose. Um, and then, but, you know, to your, to your question, going into next year, I don't really know what you can like kind of take away or look forward to or uh, kind of bounce off of because you just don't, you know, there were so many players hurt this year. It's hard to just kind of have any takeaways or draw any conclusions from it really, I think. Yeah. And you, you really got to hope that the experience in these tight situations that they're, that, that especially the young players, I think Brandon Stevens is a guy who has been on the field so much in these games, especially after Elliot went down early in the season. And, you know, you, you hope that he can take a big step this off season and come in, come in next season with, with all of this experience and a, a lot of tough, tough games, tough matchups under his belt and take that with them. The hope is you carry the good parts with you and you leave the bad parts behind, you know, especially those injuries. I'll say I think that's kind of like a common theme this year of guys being like thrown into situations that they probably shouldn't have been in, but have kind of learned from it and grown from it. You talked about Brandon Stevens, uh, guys like Patrick McCary, um, Anthony Averett, guys who have kind of just came out of nowhere and they've really changed, I guess, changed the trajectory or trajectory of their careers. Yeah, Makari, I think, is a, a really good example of that with Bozeman being a free agent next year. That's our starting center that I think a lot of fans want him to stay, but there's also a chance he could get too much money from somewhere else for us to be able to match. And Makari plays center next year. But I also think Makari could ostensibly start next season as our starting right tackle based on how he's played. I mean, Von Miller said he's one of the best right tackles in the league. And while I'm not sure I would go quite that far, I also don't have the football expertise that Von Miller does. So I'm going to go ahead and defer to, yeah. you know, the Super Bowl MVP seven time or however many time all pro that he is and say that I think Makari could be actually a long-term option at right tackle. He's 24 and he doesn't necessarily fit all of the physical attributes, but he's wily. And, and, and importantly, he, he has come up huge for us. I think that extension was a great thing. You know, we talk about the injuries, that's another really tough thing to evaluate is the coaching staff with all of these injuries because you build a team and you build an offensive and defensive scheme based on the players that you expect to have. And there's no way either Greg Roman or Wink Martindale expected to lose all of these guys. And so all things considered, the Ravens still sit, I think, going into week 17. I'm not sure what it is now, but they sit fifth. In total offensive yards this season, which kind of surprised me given all of the inconsistency. And the defense came at, came up huge against what is a very, very good Los Angeles Rams offense. 
And so I don't know. I have so much trouble trying to evaluate the coaching staff on the basis of this season. What is your take on how to grade them and still account for all of the craziness they've had to deal with? Yeah, I think like to your point, you kind of have to do a little grading on a curve uh, just with what they've had to deal with. Uh, But I think there's sort of like a uh, common theme between the two of them, Martindale and Roman, where there's things they aren't so good at that fans like to harp on a lot, but then there's other things they do really well. Uh, In Martindale's case, um, you know, the pass rushes, I think there's not really a lot of sack production. See guys like Judon and Darius Smith leave, go put up, you know, defensive player of the year type season somewhere else. Um, And, you know, guys that are currently on the Ravens aren't putting up huge sack numbers, but the defense as a whole, you know, there may not be individual uh, production, but as a whole, the defense was, I want to say, top like three in run defense this year. Um, before all the DBs went out, the pass defense wasn't that bad either. Um, and then with Roman, I think it's uh, it's similar to you know what we've been saying. I mean, there's just so much injuries that like it's it's just really hard to just hard to evaluate. Yeah, because at the same time, you have to respect the fact that the Green Bay Packers are a pretty good defense. And they were missing a few guys, but they're still a pretty good defense and obviously a very well-coached team. And Roman put together a game plan that our backup quarterback put 30 points on them and kept up with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, that's not nothing. And then you go into the Rams game and you see us fail to score from inside the Rams five twice. That It's just so hard to, to, to figure out what to think about Roman. And I think that is obviously a, a very frequent topic in the Ravens discourse, but I have so much trouble trying to figure out what the Ravens should do. Obviously, I think they should keep Wink. That is a no-brainer. I, you know, I think there's a chance he gets an opportunity elsewhere in the next few years, but as long as we can keep him on as our coordinator, we can. But Roman, it's another question because he built this offense. He clearly understands the way this offense works better than anyone else. So is there actually someone that can do better than Greg Roman, or are we just at a point where we feel or, – or, or have we gotten as far as we can with Greg Roman, and is it time to move on? I think – you know, this season would have been a good opportunity to evaluate that because after last season, people were, you know, calling to fire Roman. And I thought that was premature. He was still one year removed from that brilliant 2019 season. But I, you know, this year I thought would have been a good chance to say, okay, we, we got receivers. The O-line was still shaky, but we, we had a, a much better offense coming into the season than we did last year. And it seemed like it would be a good season for us to figure out, if Roman was the guy we wanted to stick around for a couple more years, but now it's so hard to say, like you mentioned. Yeah. I think, you know, like you were, like you were saying, I I'm a fan of keeping wink. I like wink. Um, and then Roman, I mean, there's so many things that, um, you know, fan, people obviously talk about the past concepts, um, things like that, like making substitutions and taking the play clock all the way down to zero and one seconds and stuff like that. And we'll get into that goal to go situation a little bit later. I'm, I'm sure. Um, but yeah. It's tough. Uh, uh, moving on to our, our weekly categories here. Raven of the game. You know, Mark Andrews, as usual, gets a mention here. He, he's just been brilliant all season, and he didn't have quite the crazy spectacular game uh, that he's had in the past. But still, six catches, all six of his targets he caught for 89 yards. That's pretty much what you expect is his floor, which is an incredible floor for, for a tight end. Uh, Chuck Clark, obviously the two interceptions that had that carried the team through the first half. Uh, Defonta Freeman, I thought had a pretty solid game on the ground for the Ravens. Tyus Bowser was Tyus Bowser and Jimmy Smith also both played all every single one of the Ravens defensive snaps. 
and played really well in them as well. And I also think we need to mention Justin Tucker because Tucker hit the field goals that he was asked to. I believe he he made all four of his field goals, including, I think, two that were over 40 yards. And I had no doubt in my mind at the end of that game that if we were able to get within field goal range, that Tucker was going to hit that field goal and give us the win. I don't know if you feel the same way. Uh, who do you have for Braven of the game, Taylor? Yeah, I like Chuck Clark, too. Obviously, the two interceptions were big, were big, returning one of them for a touchdown. Um, and I think I don't know if it was last year or a couple of years ago, Martindale called uh, Chuck Clark one of the smartest players he's ever coached. And I think that really came through on that uh, pick six. Uh, he read, you know, it was obvious he watched the film. He knew what Stafford wanted to do there, uh, jumped it, read it like a book and walked right into the end zone. Uh, but it wasn't just the interceptions. He had a few uh, pass breakups, pass defense, some in really big spots against, you know, Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham. Um, and two other guys I'd like to shout out to for this, Brandon Williams. I thought Williams had a really good game. Um, he's he's kind of strung together a, f- a few games now where I'm starting to think, like, he's a free agent this year. Do you want to bring him back on something cheap? Would he be willing to do something cheap like that? Um, if he is, I'd be all aboard bringing him back. And then another guy, Kevin Zeitler. I thought he played pretty well going up against Aaron Donald. Donald's the most success Donald was having at least on the broadcast view um, was when he was lined up over like Tristan Cologne, Blank Cleveland and uh, Alondra Villanueva. He did. Donald did kind of split a double team from Zeitler and Cologne to get a sack um, in the red zone. But I, I, I like Zeitler for the most part going up against Aaron Donald. Yeah. I mean, Donald's going to do that to whoever, at least once a game where he's just going to go supernova, but Zeitler kind of trying to steady the ship with the sudden absence of Bozeman and Cologne coming in. And yeah, I mean, Donald just kind of ate Ben Cleveland's lunch. I still think Ben Cleveland is hopefully going to be our starting left guard next year. I think there are plenty of things he needs to clean up, but I also think he's showing that he is figuring it out. I think he's learning a lot on the job and hopefully he takes this matchup with Donald as in a learning experience rather than something that's demoralizing. Um, but I think it's impossible to give it to anyone other than Clark because two oh, picks, my, especially uh, for a guy that, yeah, especially for a guy that has had so much trouble securing interceptions. You know, the, the first one was easy. The second one was actually, he went airborne and came down with it. And I was actually a little surprised because We've seen the Ravens drop so many interceptions this year. It was so satisfying to see Clark especially pull down two of them. Uh, So moving on to unit of the game, kind of on that same note, the safeties, you know, we've already talked about Chuck Clark. Brandon Stevens had an excellent tackle. I can't remember who it was on, but an excellent tackle on a third and short to prevent the Rams from getting a first down. And, uh, you know, he, he's quickly developing into, I think, a, a solid safety for us. But then you also got to look at uh, Juno Stone and Tony Jefferson, who I think played a lot of good rotational snaps. Jefferson made a really great play on the Rams two point conversion attempt. And it's actually a very solid group, despite the injuries uh, in, the, in the secondary this season. Uh, the outside linebackers on an extremely tight rotation of Bowser, Houston, and Ferguson. I mean, McPhee, McPhee was a healthy scratch. Uh, I'm not quite sure why. I think it might just be because he hadn't played in a while. Dalen Hayes, obviously, out for the season. And Odafe Owe missing his first NFL game. You know, that was a big concern for me. He was getting pressure on Stafford without all of these guys in the lineup. But they did a pretty good job. And I think that's, that's largely due to how well Bowser and Houston rushed the passer. And I felt like Ferguson 
is trying to earn and keep his spot on the, on this team with his run defense. Cause that is an area that he seems to excel. And the other unit is the special teams. I felt like the, the, the cook Tucker bat kicker bat kicker puncher battery is just unbelievable. Cook pinning the Rams deep multiple times, I think really helped our defense just contain the as explosives of their offense can be pinning them deep just helps. And Tucker, like I said, just so consistent. Yeah, going back to the DB room, um, you said you said safeties. I'd also throw in uh, Jimmy Smith in there. Thought he played pretty good game, um, and what will probably be his second last game as a Raven. Um, and then I'd also like to throw in uh, the running backs. I think Devontae Freeman had a nice game. He had that big long run of like thirty-two or whatever it was. Um, and then Latavius Murray. You don't if you look at the box score, you see. You know, I think he had like ten carries for thirty yards or something like that. But you, if you watch his runs, he was really relied on in the short yardage game. You know, go get us two yards, go get us three yards on this third, second down. Um, and he did. He was always falling forward, fighting for extra yards. It took him a couple guys to bring him down. Uh, so I, I really like how Freeman and Murray have kind of stepped in this season with all the, you know, everything that's happened at running back. Yeah, yeah. And I think that also, you know, it also speaks to the the – kind of disappointment that we've seen from the other guys. There was a lot of hype about Tyson Williams, Nate McCrary coming back from Denver. People were excited for him to get some reps, but it just really seems like Roman trusts Murray and Freeman, his two veteran backs. And I get why with all the other shuffles, throwing a lot of younger undrafted unproven guys into the mix is dangerous. We've seen that with, you know, Tyson Williams in other situations this season, but I still think that, this the, the running backs is the group that's going to benefit most, maybe second most from, from the returns from injuries, just because they just don't have that explosiveness, that ability to just break a bunch of tackles the way Edwards and Dobbins seem to. Exactly right. Yeah. And also uh, you know, going back to the outside linebackers you talked about, I really liked Ferguson on Sunday. Um, I thought he had probably his best game as a Raven, as a pro. Uh, he's in year three now. He's kind of been unable to just kind of carve out a role for himself, I guess. Uh, he's, you know, last year he was finding himself inactive on uh, game days. Um, but with, you know, like you said, the very thin outside linebacker group, it was just him, Bowser, and uh, Houston. Um, I, I really like Ferguson against the run. He was just exploding off the ball. He missed a couple tackles that would have been, you know, would have went for a loss. Um, but I thought, you know, all around a good game from Ferguson. And I'm looking forward to seeing if next week, if McPhee and Oway are out again, if he can kind of follow up on Sunday to, uh, you know, kind of ensure that it wasn't just a fluke, that he can maybe keep that going into 2022 and he can be, you know, somewhat of a contributor. Yeah, because you think about next season, you, we, you know, we, we know we have Hayes, Oway, Bowser next season. Houston, I think they're, I think the team wants to bring him back. And I think there's probably going to be some mutual interest in Houston if the money, if the money's right in, in terms of bringing him back. I'm not sure McPhee's back. McPhee is back next year just because he just didn't do that much this year. Uh, but Ferguson, the problem is he just can't rush the passer. I mean, he, he was so good at in college. He, he's, I think, the FBS all-time sack leader. His nickname is literally Sack Daddy, and he just cannot come up with sacks. record for most sacks in college, yeah. Yep, and he just cannot come up with the sacks and the pros. And, you know, I, you know next year is the last year of his contract, and you know, it's going to be a huge prove-it year for him. To, because if he if he stays well against the run, I could see him hanging around in Baltimore as a Pernell McPhee kind of guy who we just keep on because he's consistent on the run. And he's also really good on special teams. 
But at the same time, if he can't add that pass rush element to his game, he becomes so one dimensional, which is just not something you can do for an outside linebacker like that. He, I think he would have to actually convert to being a full-time defensive end. Uh, So moving on now to play of the game, we mentioned the pick six and we mentioned Clark's second pick and he had the, the, a really nice pass breakup on Cooper cup, which I think was the one you were referencing earlier. Cup is a guy who, I mean, you saw how well he played against all these other teams this season and the Ravens ended up holding him to 95 yards and only six catches, which is still a pretty good line, but not quite the, you know, world beating uh, games that he's had earlier this season. And I think part of that is just because uh, Clark, and I think there was another one with Jimmy Smith where they, they were just really good at getting the ball out of cups hands before he could really latch onto it. Tony Jefferson's tackle on the two point conversion. I mean, what a cool play call from Sean McVay and something that absolutely should have worked, except Jefferson is going so hard at Beckham that when the ball goes back to, uh, I can't remember which running back, uh, Beckham pitched it to, but when the ball went back to the running back, all Jefferson had to do was keep flying forward and make the play. And, you know, that was, that, that was a play that gives the Ravens a chance to win the game. The Bowser Houston forced fumble and recovery. I mean, it looked like Bowser, it looked like Stafford broke the sack, but Bowser, while he's flipping over Stafford, somehow gets his hand in there to poke the ball away. And as he was flipping over him. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing was everyone on the field, there was a second where everyone was standing still except for Justin Houston. And that's just because he is the smartest guy on, on the field on that defense, maybe other than Chuck Clark. And he, he sees the ball come out and he's the first to react, which I thought was excellent. Uh, you mentioned Freeman's 32 yard run, just one of the few long runs the Ravens have been able to break this season. Even Jackson has not had as many long runs. Partially he's been out, but he just also hasn't broken off as many crazy long runs as he has in the past. And I think I also think it's worth shouting out Andrews, Mark Andrews record breaker in the first quarter. It wasn't a particularly notable uh, play. You know, I think he caught the ball and shook off a few tacklers, which we're pretty used to him doing by now. But he still deserves a shout out for breaking that Ravens franchise record for receiving yards. Yeah, I'm glad you highlighted that catch. I think that's just a perfect like microcosm, I guess, of uh, what Andrews brings to the table, what makes him so good and why we love him so much. He's just so tough he's always open took a huge shot to the back on that play got right up made a couple more catches on that same drive um and of of course that was the one to break the break the regular season uh receiving yards record yeah but i think i think overall you got to look at what the defense did and i think it's i can't decide but i think it's got to go to one of clark's picks i'm just not sure which one i like more well, I think the pick six would probably be more. I mean, that was the only touchdown they scored all game. Um, without that, I mean, the offense the offense was non-existent. So I think if you don't have that to kind of jumpstart it, um, this game wouldn't have even been close. Yeah, I mean, a surprising first half lead. You know, a game we were under uh, touchdown underdogs. We haven't done well in the first half all season. And especially the defense coming in, it was nice to see. So I, I agree. I think Clark's pick six gets the, the award. But like you just mentioned, the offense couldn't score. They, they, they did a great job driving down the field. It felt like they were able to sustain drives, but this is kind of where the back to practice award comes in, which is just these goal to go situations. And this is, I think where the Roman discourse comes into play the most is in these high leverage situations. We've seen him call, you know, quarterback draws on third and six too many times. Uh, you know, we haven't necessarily loved some of the two point conversion attempts, um, and it just shows that in some of these high leverage situations, 
Roman just doesn't seem to have the answer. I mean, you look, but you also have to wonder about, you know, who's under center and, you know, with that stacked box, I think it was the second down inside zone that the Ravens ran. Every single Rams defender was, I think, inside of the tackles. Like it was insane. And Huntley didn't check out, didn't check out of the run. He just put it in Murray's gut and Murray, of course, got hammered before he could get to the line. And I think that is, that is why as part of the reason why it's so hard is because you expect Huntley to check out of that play. A pro quarterback needs to see that and check into something else. You know, I think Bateman was designed to run a dummy route on that play and he was wide open. If Huntley had just checked into a pass with the same route for Bateman, Bateman's wide open, you know, that's to me the biggest thing that this team has to work on and going into next season offensively these high leverage situations just the play call has got to be better yeah we don't know you know how much leeway roman and harbaugh are giving tyler huntley to do stuff like that um but you know like you were talking about i mean that whole sequence you have first and goal from the five second and goal from the two no design quarterback runs no targets to mark andrews um, you're taking the play clock down to two and one and zero seconds every play. You're taking long to get the substitutions in. That's what I mean. Mark, the camera went to Mark Andrews kind of complaining about that. And, you know, after that sequence, you're taking too long to get the substitutions in. You don't have enough time to get to the line, get set and see what's happening. You're, you know, you're, as soon as you get to the line, there's three seconds left and you don't have any time to do anything. Um, and then taking the delay a game taking a sack. I mean, it just kind of, that. I mean, that was the game. That was the game right there. Yeah. And that happened twice. I think is the maddening thing is that you, you get down to the five and you know, you get down to the five, you get, you get pushed back, whatever you have to kick a field goal. Fine. You know, you take your points, you leave, but you have to learn from it the next time you get down there and not, you know, do similar things. And it hurts because sometimes I go back and watch some of the plays that we've called in past seasons at the goal line. And it just seems like we've abandoned some of the plays that have worked really well. I mean, even the one, the two point conversion play that was set up for Andrews against the Steelers. Like that's a play that works. Andrews was open. The pass was two inches away from completing. And so, you know, just going back to, Oh, let me just, let me just try and pound it in when you're going up against a really, really good defensive line especially with Aaron Donald right there, you've got Von Miller, who's extremely good against the run. I just don't see the, the, the logic in some of those play calls. And I think that's the biggest thing that this team's got to work on. And, and the offense overall has to work on going into next year is the, these high leverage situations that if the play call is not there, whoever's on the field needs to be able to recognize that. And I think that falls on the linemen as well. I think we have, I think Bozeman, Macari, Zeitler, Villanueva obviously has a ton of time in this league, you know, these are guys who should also be able to recognize this and communicate. And I think that I think that should be a big thing going into next season is Jackson's ability to change things at the line based on what he sees. I think that is what kind of his his next season evolution is. He's he's taken a step forward every season. And I think, you know, next season, it's really a cerebral one that we want to see from him. Yeah, it's kind of been a thing like the past couple of years that fans have talked about saying, like, why doesn't he ever you know make any audibles, check anything at the line? And then I think there was like a few weeks stretch earlier this year where he was doing that, like every other play, like checking the screen wide receiver screens and weird stuff like that, that wasn't working. But, you know, like you said, that's his, that's the next evolution for Jackson next year. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, overall you think about the game plan on both sides of the ball that came in, it it worked, it worked pretty well. The team was playing pretty well. They were able to contain the offense, but it's just those it's, it's everything at the margins. And that's what happens when, 
you lose guys, you lose your starting center the morning of the game, you don't have your MVP quarterback, you know, that's where those margins come into play. And I think that's why sometimes these, these losses hurt so much. And, you know, the, the, the team played well. I mean, you, you can point at guys who struggled at different moments, uh, but you, you know that you can, you can tell by watching the game that they gave it their all and they just come up short. And honestly, part of that is they just don't have the town on the field right now. Yep. I so completely. moving on to, yeah. So moving on to the Devonta Freeman newcomer of the week award, Freeman is obviously going to be a nominee, even though without that 33 yard run, he didn't necessarily have or 32 yard run. He didn't necessarily have the highest yards per carry. I think again, it's the consistency, you know, the ability for the running game to at least be a threat is really important. And I think with Huntley in and Jackson out, yeah, Huntley can run, but Huntley does not have the same explosiveness on the design quarterback runs that Jackson does. And I think Freeman's ability to make guys miss at the line and prevent negative plays is unfortunately a really important part of his contrib- contributions to the team. You don't want that to be something that your, your running back has to like the best thing he he's good. The, the thing he's best at is not losing yards, but at the same time up against this defense, sometimes when you're, you know, calling plays and running right at Aaron Donald. Yeah. It's important to be able to at least get a yard or two out of it instead of getting stuffed for a four or five yard loss. And the other guys, Brandon Stevens, you know, I can't say enough about him coming in to the NFL as a cornerback being open to the transition to safety. And then all of a sudden having to take over at starting safety for the rest of the season when Elliot got injured, I just feel like he has played his way into being the, the safety of our future. I mean, and it's, it's crazy because the Ravens could have a, a high enough pick to take one of the top safeties in this upcoming draft, which is something that has been talked about a lot as well as potentially re-signing Elliot since he's a free agent. But you also look at what Stevens has been able to do as a rookie and you think, wow, you know, this guy could really, this guy could really, really grow into something pretty important for this team. Yeah. um, And I'd like to throw in Tony Jefferson too. We've talked about him enough. Um, And then Brandon Stevens, he's, you know, kind of according to, uh, you know, pro football focus, he's kind of graded out as one of the best Ravens defenders in, you know, recent weeks. Um, And with those two, I mean, you look at the safety room kind of moving into 2022 Um, Stevens, Jefferson, if they can bring him back, there's been a lot of kind of talk on social media about wanting to bring Jefferson back. Um, and if you're able to do that, pair that with Chuck Clark and Geno Stone. And then even if you do, uh, even if you don't bring Deshaun Elliott back, I think that's a really solid group. I think Stevens has kind of shown that he can fill in for Deshaun Elliott. And I don't think he would be that uh, missed, I guess, is the word Deshaun Elliott would be. Yeah. And, and you know, you also talk about, I know there have been some fans on Twitter who, you know, looking at the fact that we lost to the Rams, they're like, hey, we're going to have a top 15 draft pick most likely. And depending on how everything shakes out, we could have a player like uh, Kyle Hamilton, Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame fall to us. And yeah, we have safeties, but that's also a no brainer in terms of just picking the best player available. And so I think I think the safety is in the, 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 the secondary in general. I think, you know, even counting the injuries is in good shape heading into next season. If guys recover, you know, obviously we've seen that Chris Westry, I think can play and we're hoping to get guys like, uh, you know, Averick getting hurt 
I don't know how much that does for his contract. I think he's another interesting question to talk about when it comes to his contract because he hasn't lived up to as good as he was supposed to be this season, but he's still clearly a serviceable starter starting cornerback. And so it's unclear how much money he could get and if he'd be willing to come back to the Ravens next year. Um, But I also agree about Jefferson. I think Jefferson is a guy who, you know, can be signed to this team for cheap and he can be really valuable rotational depth. I mean, he, it's what he's done in the couple games that he's been here. And I also think as a veteran leader of the defense, you know, we have, we may not have a lot of veteran defensive leaders back next year, Houston, Campbell, Brandon Williams uh, are all set to leave. And other than that, we don't have a ton of like long established veterans on this team. Jefferson really brings that presence. Yeah. And if, I think if you're looking at what Jefferson could be, if the Ravens brought him back, I think you look at a guy like Anthony Levine. I mean, Levine's carved out a 10-year Ravens career playing mostly special teams and kind of dabbling in safety and defensive back. I think Tony Jefferson, you know, he's been playing some uh, some, some special teams the past few weeks. I think he could do that over the next few years. He's only 30 years old. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's also that 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 familiarity and that that you know, willingness to take maybe a lower salary than he might be able to get on the open market just to stay in Baltimore with a team that really values him and knows how to use him. Uh, moving on to the mile high miracle, ridiculous Ravens moment of the week. I mean, this was, this was kind of a wild game. I mean, Clark's back-to-back interceptions. I, I was screaming because the Ravens just can't, haven't been able to turn the ball over this year. And I, I thought that was crazy that that, that was a moment where I was like, okay, maybe maybe our luck's turning around a little bit. Obviously, that didn't work out the rest of the game. Odell Beckham Jr. on those back-to-back plays, I mean, how, you can't get much better coverage from Tavon Young on the first one. And, and Beckham just makes an all-hands catch that there's nothing you can do about. And then kind of a tough play on the next one where Beckham runs a nice route and there's just enough traffic for him to break free and get the ball past the goal line. You know, th- that was another stretch where I was like, man, Odell Beckham Jr. got got – like arrived in in Los Angeles this year and he's destroying us and kind of the same thing with Von Miller, that last sack in the same way, you know, the Rams going in on these stars is helping them win games. Well, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to get to the Super Bowl with it. And I think if they don't, those, those acquisitions are kind of looked at as disappointments if those guys can't come up big in the playoffs, but it does sting when you think about, man, we've, we've lost so many of our stars. We weren't really able to acquire any stars at the trade deadline. And then we've had, you know, you know, these other teams who are acquiring stars have those players come up huge against us. Um, and I also, you know, think the stopping the two point conversion was kind of another crazy moment because it was a kind of a creative play that play design, as I talked about. But it also kept the game within field goal uh, winning range for Justin Tucker. You know, if that two point conversion had gone through the Rams go up by three and then we have to kick a field goal just to get to overtime, which obviously we know the Ravens hate overtime this season, given how much they've tried to avoid it. But, you know, stopping that two point conversion is also a moment when you're like, okay, Tucker can win us this game. And as any Raven fan knows, if there's an opportunity for Tucker to win us this game, you want to see it happen because he's the most reliable guy in this team. Him and Mark Andrews are probably tied for that this year. Yeah. I I really love that creative play call from Sean McVay on the two point conversion. Um, I think that's a play that works like 99 out of 100 times. Um, it took a really incredible diving tackle uh, from – it was Tony Jefferson, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, really mm-hmm. awesome tackle from Tony Jefferson to stop it, kind of just diving at Sony Michelle's ankles. Um, and that those two back-to-back catches from Odell Beckham, 
Um, that was really just vintage Odell Beckham that we haven't really seen since he was in New York. I mean, he, um, you know, showed his hands on that one catch that kind of rode it in with his fingertips. He was blanketed by Tavon Young. And then the second one to get the touchdown, kind of the, the balance and the flexibility to just kind of make the catch, all of a sudden turn around and reach for the pylon and stay in balance. Um, that was just an awesome sequence from, uh, from Beckham. Yeah, you forget. I think at times all of the drama and the kind of the whole New York to Cleveland to to L.A. saga kind of makes you forget just how, how supremely talented he, he is and, and, and kind of that 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 ceiling that he has is really high. It's just a matter of him being able to hit it and being in the right offense and having a quarterback who can actually throw the ball to him in order to hit it. Uh, but I still think that the the ridiculous Ravens mode of the week has to go to those interceptions. I mean, I've never felt the game turn. More than that, I felt like the Ravens were actually in control after that second interception, even though they only got a field goal from the second one. I felt like a 10-0 lead in the first half for this Ravens team was absolutely massive. And, of course, we squandered it. You know, that's just kind of the way this season has gone. But I still felt like that was probably the craziest moment of the game. Yeah, and especially considering it was the first defensive touchdown this team's had this year. Um and a Chuck Hart, I mean, they showed the graphic on the screen. I think he's had like three career interceptions in his first however many games, and then he had two on Sunday. Um, so, yeah, just a really awesome game from Clark. Yeah, and, and you hope that, you know, that's something that they can come in the next season and forget their inability to get turnovers most of the year and get back to being that that ball-hawking team that they were. I mean, losing Marlon and, and Peters obviously does a ton of damage to that. But there's still other guys capable of forcing turnovers, as we can see. And, you know, clearly Clark was hitting the jugs machine. So props to him for, for, for taking care of that. Uh, moving on to head scratcher of the week. I, again, I didn't really have any issues with the referees this week, as, as I've had in, in, in weeks past. I also don't think that there were any there were a ton of things that I would do differently coaching wise, other than, like we mentioned, that goal to go play call that that play call on the goal line. You know, you look at the things that McVeigh pulls out on the goal line and you think, man, some of those things would just work up really well with the Ravens. We have the personnel for it. You know, we have the extra blockers in Boyle and Ricard to, to be able to defend against an all out blitz to get to give Huntley enough time to get a pass off. And it just seems like the play call just wasn't there. And the delay of games were also really bad. It's some it's it's just uh, you know, it's something that I feel like procedural penalties are just such a staple of this team's offense for so many years. And it's, it's maddening because they just shoot themselves in the foot. Yeah. Like you were saying, I don't really have any um, you know, bones to pick in that department either. The one thing I would like to maybe highlight is just the end of half, the end of the first half, just kind of how that whole thing was managed. Um, obviously this is, you know, hindsight speaking. Um, I would have loved to just see them, either run out the clock or maybe not just not be as aggressive trying to get down the field. Um, and a lot of that, you know, can go on Huntley. Uh, if you saw, you know, their screenshots or you look at the dots of uh, Andrews running across the field wide open and he's trying to force some deep ball to Hollywood and it's short and intercepted. Um, but I, I mean, I would have just loved to see them either just run out the clock there or just not be as aggressive. And maybe if you get a field goal, it's awesome. Um, going into the half at up 10, nothing, I think would have been would have felt a lot better than going up when they go 13 to seven. Mm -hmm. And, you know, actually, I think that is probably a bigger uh, uh, or at least as close to a head scratcher 
as the goal to go play call is Tyler Huntley just throwing that pass to Hollywood. I mean, that is just the kind of pass that you, you just can't throw. And I think Harbaugh said today that Huntley knows he wants to have it back. But I think those are the kind of moments where you think, ah, you know, this this whole quarterback controversy is, is way too overblown. And the idea that Huntley can magically step in and be Lamar Jackson is just is just not true because you know, while Jackson's had some interception riddled mistakes, um, very few of his interceptions have actually come on deep balls like that. And because Jackson knows that those deep balls, those floaters are a lot easier for defenders to make up the ground on. And I think Huntley just really overestimated his, his, his passing range, especially with Andrews wide open right underneath. You think about his ability to catch and run and take it into field goal range. It hurts. Um, and it, it's things like those again, that you just look at and you're like, man, a one or two things change in these one-point games, and it's a completely different result. Yeah, two, uh, two things about that I wanted to say. One, I love Huntley. Um, like you said, enough of uh, quarterback controversy. I think he's a top you know, top 30, top maybe top 25 quarterback in the league. That's about as, you're gonna get, as good as you're going to get for a backup. There's no controversy there. Um, and then two, I don't know if this is just me, it seems like Huntley and Hollywood are off. Like they don't uh, just the chemistry there is not as good as maybe it is with Lamar and Hollywood. It seems like every target to Brown from Huntley is either low or short and Hollywood has to make, uh, you know, some crazy catch and he more often than not, he doesn't do it. Um, it just seems like almost every time Huntley throws to Hollywood, it's, it's not a good throw. Yeah. I mean, one thing that people have talked about is that, uh, Huntley doesn't target Hollywood, which is not true. He targeted him eight times, which is the second most on the team. But Brown was only able to catch three of those. You know, I, 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 you can tell that Huntley doesn't have the same zip on those out those passes to the sideline that Jackson has developed this year. Jackson used to float those passes to the sidelines, and it would drive me nuts. And seeing Huntley do it drives me nuts too because it's too much air under it, and you don't give Hollywood, who's made. Uh, great strides in, in getting yards after the catch this year. You don't give him any time or any space between him and the defender to turn around and make a move. And, and as a result, he just gets kind of tackled wherever he is. And so I think that is, that is a good point that the chemistry between Huntley and Brown just isn't there in the same way that it is between Jackson and Brown, or honestly Huntley and Bateman, because Huntley has lit, Huntley and Bateman have lit it up whenever they're, you know, when, whenever they're playing pitch and catch. Yeah, and I don't think that's necessarily the you know like throwing a catchable ball. I don't think that's necessarily just a Huntley to Hollywood Brown thing. Um, I think Huntley kind of struggles with that in general, no matter who he's throwing to. Just a ball that a receiver can catch in stride and you know run after the catch with it. I think he kind of struggles to um, you know deliver deliver a perfectly accurate ball. You know we've seen Andrew sometimes have to you know jump and dive for balls and not be able to get any anywhere after the catch with it. Um, so I think that would probably be my biggest thing with with Huntley is he kind of struggles to get a uh, get a catchable catchable ball to his receivers that they can do something with after the catch. Yeah, and and that's you know an area that is another one that I felt like Roman took a step forward this year in terms of manufacturing space for guys like Brown and Duvernay to show off their speed after the catch. But then when that doesn't come through in the passive from the quarterback, it's all, it's all for naught. And again, it just speaks to how impossible it is to really sit down and say yes or no on Roman this season. It really is an incomplete because you have no idea what could have been if, if things had been even slightly different. If Jackson doesn't miss so many games and so many practices as well, 
things could be very, very different with the way we feel about this offense and the way we feel about Greg Roman. Um, moving on to unsung hero, Tristan Cologne, you know, it wasn't great. Matching up against Aaron Donald isn't going to be easy for, for a, a, an undrafted center who doesn't have a ton of in-game experience, but I, I felt like he held his own. I felt like he he didn't, the, the line just didn't collapse from the middle. And I think that was the thing I was looking for from him was no bad snaps and that the line didn't collapse because of him. And I felt like that wasn't the case. Jimmy Smith, you know, we've talked about him a few times, so I don't know how unsung he is, but I think in general we have forgotten, you know, one, how big a player he's been on this team for his whole career. Uh, but also, you know, when he's called upon, he steps in. Again, playing 100% of the snaps for a guy who, is maybe the most injury riddle player in, in this team's recent history, maybe other than Tavon Young, you know, that's a, that's a big ask. And he came through and he played really well. And I actually think that there might be, you know, some room for him to convert to safety and stay in Baltimore next year, if that's something he's open to. And Jefferson is another guy I had listed in this category, just because again, he, uh, he, he, he came through and you need, you need your depth guys to come through in those situations. Yeah, uh, just going back to Jimmy Smith real quick. Um, I think I'd be surprised if he's back playing football for anybody next year. Um, he, like you said, with the injuries and moving to safety, I don't really, I don't think I see how moving to safety. Safety is a much more like violent and hard hitting position, and I don't know if Jimmy Smith kind of fits into that. He just had a kid too. He missed the game a few weeks ago. Uh, his his wife just gave birth. Um, I think. He, I obviously don't know him personally, but I, I would be willing to bet he's probably ready to uh, to hang it up. I had two guys for Unsung Hero. Um, McCary, Patrick McCary, we kind of talked about him a little bit already. Von Miller called him one of the best right tackles in the league. Um, again, I'll take his I'll take his word for that. Um, he said in the postgame interviews, he said he got the best of them when we went to Denver in week uh, three or four, or I think it's four, uh, when Von Miller was still with the Broncos. Um, he said Patrick McCary got the best of him and he had a bone to pick this week going against him. And he obviously, uh, you know, I think McCary kind of held his own, but Von Miller, I think kind of got that last laugh with the sack on the last drive to kind of end that drive. Um, and then Jalen Ferguson too, we talked about him also, um, really good against the run exploded off the ball multiple times. Um, and I'll be fascinated to see if he can kind of carry it into next week and, uh, you know, build off that into going into 2022. Yeah, and and again, you can't say enough about his ability to step up when he, he, the the team is collapsing around him. And Villanueva switches to the left side, and he's got to go up against Von Miller twice in a season, and Joey Bosa, and all these things. And you can't you can't ask for more. I feel like, and that's that's what I feel like with so much of this team is how much more can you really ask from a lot of these players than what they're already giving you? Can, can you ask for that much more from, from Huntley or from, you know, Mark Andrews or Bowser or whoever? That's the thing that makes this season so hard is that you know that no one's ever going to play perfect. Guys are always going to be making mistakes. And so you can never expect someone to play up to their literal perfection, you know, their, their highest potential. Because that's that's impossible. No one's ever going to do that. But you think about more realistically the range that that these players can play in in terms of, oh, they'll give you 25 percent of their best, 50 percent of their best, 75 percent of their best. You know, I feel like these guys are coming out and, yeah, they're making mistakes. Part of that is just because the talent isn't there, but they're giving it their all. And when you're losing by just one point, you're like, man, yeah, two or three things could have gone better for me in that game. But 
You also look at some of the tackles that we made on, on, on short yardage situations against the Rams, the pick six, having Huntley in against a really good defense and still kind of moving the ball down the field. You're just like, man, what, what more can we actually do? Yeah. And so some more guys to kind of speak to that, like McCary, what more can you ask from He's, you know, that string of defensive ends, you listed um, Tyler Huntley. Can you really expect him to put up a 30 point game every week? Uh, Patrick Queen, can we really expect Patrick Queen to line up in the slot on Cooper Cup and, uh, you know, stop him there? No, that's an easy one. No. no. I love Patrick Queen. Patrick Queen, no one can cover Cooper Cup, really. But Patrick Queen, like maybe the last player on the Ravens other than the actual defensive lineman I would want on Cooper Cup. Like I would almost rather have Bowser on Cooper Cup. Yeah, I think Cooper Cup was kind of licking his chops. We saw Patrick Queen lined up on him. All he did was give him one little move. Patrick Queen way overcompensates to the outside, and Cup just comes in and walks into the end zone. Yep, and, and that's kind of the story. That, I mean, the whole game is the story of the season. I think our, our, our friends over it at Baltimore Beatdown, Jake Loke did a really good breakdown of just this game was a microcosm of the season. This game was – a little bit of every single thing that has happened to Baltimore this season, whether it's coming in shorthanded, losing Bozeman the morning of going up against a good, well-prepared team and, and hanging with them for this whole game, despite our roster being so completely decimated, but still not being able to come up with the one or two plays you need to win. It's heartbreaking. And it just feels like that's been the whole season. Yep. So, you know, looking forward to next week, mercifully, this season ends most likely. I think it would take a, a lot of different things for us to happen. I think we have a 2% ish chance of making the playoffs. We obviously we have to win that game. And I think four or five other things have to go exactly our way for that to, for, for us to make the playoffs. So most likely it's going to be our last Ravens action this season, which I think is probably a good thing. I think a, a lot of the fans could use a break. You know, you don't want players to get hurt. You want guys to just kind of recover and get ready for next season. Uh, but it's also going to be better off the Spurgers goodbye. I mean, he's a guy that we've seen in Baltimore so many times. We've, you know, obviously played against him his whole his whole career. And it's it's going to be his swan song. It's going to be his last day in his last game in MT Bank. And so I'm really hoping that we can send him packing with a loss. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to spoiling his last game. Um, like you were talking about with the playoffs, I'm looking forward to just kind of packing it in, sitting back and enjoying a stress-free um, playoff experience, watching some good football. Um, one more thing that I wanted to mention before we wrap up here, looking forward to next week, is uh, 2022 scheduling stuff. So if you look at the 2022 schedule, next year we'll play the same place teams in the AFC West, AFC South, and NFC East. Um, and I think – we're recording this on Monday afternoon. I think no matter what happens in tonight's game between the Steelers and the Browns, next week's game between us and the Steelers is a battle between who's going to be second or third in the AFC North. I think no matter what happens tonight, winner's second and the loser's third, I think Cleveland's kind of locked into fourth, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so if you kind of take a broader look at that to scheduling next year, um, the margin between being second in the division and third is really uh, just kind of heavy when you look at scheduling and these divisions. Um, for example, the NFC East, the difference between playing second th- second place in the NFC East, third place is Philly, who just who's a playoff team, and then Washington, who isn't. Um, and the AFC South, it's a difference between playing the Colts, another playoff team, and the Texans, another non-playoff team. Um, and then the AFC West, it's the loser between 
the Chargers and the Raiders game on uh, on Sunday night. So that's just kind of a little thing to, uh, I guess, keep an eye on while you're scoreboard watching on Sunday, just keep in the back of your mind of, uh, you know, looking forward to uh, the schedule next year. Yeah, yeah. And and that's actually brings me to a good point, you know, to, to our, our listeners. I hope there's quite a few of you regular listeners out there. And, you know, we're, we're coming up with ways to keep this podcast going through the offseason. I think there are still going to be a lot of things for us to break down, whether it's how the rest of the season plays out in the playoffs when the Ravens aren't there, uh, free agency, the draft. So we're definitely coming up with ways. And I think the scheduling is another is going to be another one where, you know, we figure out some ways to break down that final schedule release and figure out, OK, what is this team what, what are the team's realistic chances next year? Because when you think about it, the sky really should be the limit. All of the potential we have this off season to bring in a lot of young talent through the draft and just getting everyone back healthy. If we, if we can get guys back healthy and maybe re-sign a couple of these vets, Houston Campbell, whoever wants to stick around for another year or two. Uh, I, I think that the team could just be really good next year. And, but, but it is so, it is so dependent on getting healthy that that's going to be the thing we're going to be watching for all off season. Yeah. Like you said, I think, I really do think, like, I don't think this is a hyperbole. I really think next year has the potential to be uh, the, at least the best offense in probably the Lamar Jackson era. Um, you have mm-hmm. 10 draft picks to completely revamp uh, the defense. I think this is the first off season, probably in at least recent years that wide receiver isn't a need going into an off season. If J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards can come back healthy, that's one of the best running back tandems in the league. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's – I think it's fair to say that next year if all goes right and, you know, like Ronnie Stanley and Juwan James can come back healthy, I think it's a really um, – you know, I think it really does have the chance to be at least the best offense in, uh, you know, in the Lamar Jackson era. Yeah, and, you know, one other thing on that, on that scheduling note, you know, where the, the final position of where we land – and, and how the rest of these games play out also weighs heavily into that draft pick. And it's not just about getting a, you know, top 15 or the 12th pick instead of the 18th or 20th pick um, that we may have been looking at two or three weeks ago. We were thinking, oh, late teens, early 20s. Now we're thinking early teens. That's huge, not just in the first round, but when you think about how that spreads to every other pick the Ravens have, they move up half a dozen spots in every other round that's huge, especially for a team that drafts in the late rounds really, really well uh, on days two and three. I know first rounds have had some hit and misses over the last few years, but in general, day, day two and three, this team does a good job of finding really good contributors and, and maybe just the, the, the total accumulated value of being able to move up six spots in every round could do could, could make a difference. I mean, you hope it just gives the Ravens more options because you know that's where this front office is best is when they have flexibility. Yeah, I'll be I'll be looking forward to seeing what Eric Dacosta can do with a top, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 pick. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll know, obviously know exactly where we'll end up by next week's podcast after that Steelers game. So that will definitely be a topic of conversation then. Uh, but for now, Taylor, thanks so much again for joining us. And thank you to all our listeners. And we uh, we look forward to having you back next week to break down what is likely going to be the Ravens final game of the season, as well as Ben Roethlisberger's final game of his career. Uh, we'll see you back here on Russell Street Replay. Thanks so much. Thank you.